Welcome to another episode of the CTO to CTO podcast. In today's Pioneers episode, our guest is Adam Sturck, the founder of Molten and Mac Alliance Ambassador. Piotr and Adam discussed the beginnings of Molten and what it was like to build a successful startup in Newcastle, England back in 2013. Adam also talks about the struggles of moving to Silicon Valley, his first six-figure deals, empowering developers, consulting companies on headless architecture decisions, and the life cycle of companies. Let's begin. In today's episode, we are going to talk about e-commerce platforms. My guest is Adam Sturak, the founder of Moltin, one of the first, if not the first, headless e-commerce platform. Adam is a great source of insight. Recently, uh, he created the e-commerce magic round about uh, 2020, showing how the enterprise e-commerce platforms are doing. I can't wait to ask him more about it. Hey, Adam, I'm so glad you accepted my invitation. No problem. Nice to be here. Perfect. Adam, do you see yourself as a pioneer? Um, yes and no. I guess I suffer a little bit from sort of imposter syndrome. Like I just feel like, uh, I guess like every everything that sort of I work on is more uh, evolutionary rather than revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, I think many people uh, do see you as a pioneer uh, because Molten for many of us was the first contact with the headless e-commerce concept, API first concept. Um, back in 2013, when you started, uh, have you even used the word headless for what were you building? Um, headless wasn't really a thing back in 2013. We yeah. described Molten as an e-commerce API. Uh, mm-hmm. APIs, APIs were a thing in 2013. We looked at sort of Stripe and Twilio, um, and that's sort of we thought, why not the whole, you know, the the whole e-commerce platform basically. Uh, it took us a, a while to kind of move away from talking about like e-commerce APIs and tech. And I, I think it was Commerce Tools that was the first mm-hmm. one to use headless. And then we quickly followed suit. It's a it's a, a great term to use to kind of get the business stakeholders interest, I guess. But it's it's not necessarily a great term beyond beyond that. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> gotcha. So you you you, you started you know. Uh, doing this before it got popular. <laughs> yeah. uh, how did this idea of the API first e-commerce platform come to you? How it come so, from? So, so 2013, I'm cast, casting back to sort of the beginning. I, I was working in an agency with my two co-founders, Jamie and Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked with WordPress, Magento, Shopify. We built our own uh, e-commerce uh, plugin called Firesell uh, for a, a Laravel-based CMS called Pyro CMS at the time yeah. mm-hmm. um, and we sort of we we came across the same issues like when we built that plugin that sort of we were facing with Magento and WordPress in terms of the maintenance headaches like having to run those servers and each we had like hundreds of clients all running different versions of those platforms um, right. and we th- and we and, and then that, that's on one side of the spectrum from the maintenance and sort of the scaling issues and things there are obviously the the requirements as well that you that you get from a, a client when you're working in an agency where maybe Shopify wasn't a good fit and you had to do a lot of customization. And there's a lot yep. of proprietary uh, way, frameworks and ways of doing things that you sort of had to learn and pick up. I remember uh, sort of my first six months, I wasn't allowed to touch a production website, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. There was like, yeah. I guess, a lot of training that sort of had to be done, a lot of learning. Um, 
So we thought like, we, yeah, like I said, we, we looked at sort of Stripe and Twilio and they were really easy. Like the developer experience was great. It abstracted away a lot of the complexity and sort of handled a lot of the infrastructure for the developer. So maybe maybe a bit of naivety, but we thought why not do that for the entire e-commerce platform yep. as an API and that would sort of solve those maintenance and upgrade cycles and things and the scaling issues, we would sort of handle that for people. And um, from a flexibility standpoint, that separation of the front end from the back end would mean that you could bring whatever programming language, like frameworks, tools, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, you could pick up and use. And there wouldn't, there wouldn't be like a, a lengthy learning cycle mm -hmm. or like a training program or anything, anything like that. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I think that this is, you know, the uh, shift of the paradigm, how you make the software, because uh, before that you mentioned Magento WordPress, um, in those, those two cases, but not only, um, it was like you were always creating kind of extensions, um, mm -hmm. modules, how they I, name it. Yeah, I sort of see it as like an anti-pattern. Like, like it ends up creating like spaghetti code and like dependencies on each other and it's like things start to break at scale. Uh, absolutely. And with this headless approach, you are rather creating uh, separate apps, which gives you a whole uh, new level of flexibility, right? Yeah, you get flexibility. You do get you can you can get flex uh, uh, complexity inside of that as well. Yeah, um, but at least you there are tools and, and ways in which you can work with that complexity to sort of minimize some of some of those issues, um, which maybe right. don't necessarily exist in a in a monolithic approach. Right, right. That that makes perfect sense. Tell us about your founding team and how did you build the MVP? So, um, like I said, we we're sort of three developers in in the agency. Um, we all mm -hmm. all had sort of experience with Magento and PHP, building our own plugins and things. Uh, we mm -hmm. all quit our jobs at the same time. I remember we we lined our notices up in envelopes on my boss's desk, and that was like half the engineering team walking out at that point. <laughs> Um, we joined an accelerator program, so I'm, I'm based in Newcastle in the UK, northeast, yep. uh, and there's an accelerator program up here called Ignite 100. So that kind of gave us the funding to kind of do this without like bootstrapping it. I, I think bootstrapping it back then would have been really, really tough for us. Like, from a mm -hmm. personal growth sort of standpoint, we were three developers, like not much sort of sales or marketing experience. Um, but yeah, the, the accelerator gave us that funding to build the product. I remember the, sort of the three months. Uh, yep. on that accelerator everyone was sort of like pitching and selling and like building their companies and we were just building a product like you can't okay. you can't sell an e-commerce platform without actually having it exist so absolutely yeah uh, so that's kind of what we focused on sort of the, the critical path product cart checkout order um, and within within three months we uh, we launched I think it was like August September time um, mm -hmm. like 2013 we, we launched the product um, and sort of like from day one, we sort of we had a sort of the the ethos of sort of developer first, go to market, uh, attract the developers, like scratch your own itch kind of business, um, yeah. and then the developer would sort of fall in love with the the APIs and the abstraction and sort of the experience, how how, how easy it was, um, and yeah, from day one, like we were sort of developers signing up from like all over the world, like other people just like us were searching for the tool that we wanted to exist. Uh, I, I remember that we had like a it was I can't remember the guy's name now, but. Uh, we ended up printing out his email. It was like a, a paragraph, like a, a wall of text with no punctuation. And he was like furious. <laughs> he sent an email, like, I think it was like midnight his time. Um, mm -hmm. And he was just complaining that like, he's annoyed that we didn't exist before because he just spent like three months building his girlfriend's oh. uh, jewelry website from scratch, like without mm -hmm. Magento or Shopify or anything. 
um, and like he's gonna rebuild the, rebuild the whole thing on molten <laughs> because it was it was so, like way better and easier and solved all of his so problems. <laughs> was he your your first adopter? <laughs> yeah, he was. He was the first one that like uh, launched a store on top of us that we sort of noticed. And that was that was sort of good sort of I guess early indications of product market fit. Like we we yeah we the, there are different definitions of product market fit, and I feel like we kind of finally got there like a few years later. But that was sort of the early signals that we were sort of onto something. Yeah, that we had sort of inbound traffic from organic search, people searching e-commerce API, and sort of Molten was one of the only ones sort of there on the Google page for that search term. I, I remember sort of we we also faced scaling challenges from day one. Sort of launching a global product like that, we had people signing up from New Zealand, and we had AWS servers in Europe. So you, you can imagine like the the round trip time, like latency. Like even even then, people were like really really happy with it, and they would just sort of manage the the caching on their side, mm-hmm. and sort of just make it work. Um, but yeah, that was like three four second like API response times just from the the network latency geographically. So but. But yeah, there was a there was a shoe brand in New Zealand called Yours Yours. Um, mm-hmm. That was one of the first I, w- I would sort of say brands that we sort of saw that wasn't just like a hobbyist developer, but someone with a gotcha, yeah. a real business that was sort of scaling up. Um, and they launched on Molten, and that that was really cool to see. Um, and there was a lot of these sort of like little small micro moments and little milestones that we were sort of seeing <laughs> as we sort of had that sort of bottoms up approach in our initial like go to market strategy. Sounds fantastic. Before I go uh, further with the question, I must ask you one more question. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about Newcastle, you know? Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I was there once, uh, quite accidentally. I remember the, the city is uh, more or less the size of Wrocław, my city. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a quite a small city center, like it's kind of like compared to like London or like <laughs> something like that. Exactly, yeah. You, so, can walk, you can walk from one side to the, the other in like 10 minutes of the center. Exactly. So it, it, it absolutely doesn't look like, you know, uh, Silicon Valley or something mm-hmm. like this. <laughs> yeah. So the, the question is, uh, how is to start uh, the business in Newcastle? Uh, like, do you see this as a challenge or rather opportunity? I think it's both. So like very early on, it was a, a huge challenge for us from a fundraising perspective. Like, who are these mm-hmm. three guys from Newcastle? Like, no one had ever, ever really heard of us. Um, and I think I think sort of like the 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 positive side of that is that it's very cheap or it was very cheap. I don't know whether that's still the case anymore, but it was yeah. very cheap from a I guess a cost of living perspective, like in the northeast gotcha. of England. Yeah. So like even if we couldn't raise a lot of money, we didn't need a lot of money. So you you could you could hire developers like for like half the price of a London mm-hmm. salaried developer, for example. And we sort of there wasn't much of a startup ecosystem when we started the company. Uh, and we grew pretty rapidly compared to the rest of the the Newcastle ecosystem uh, with the funding that, and the the accelerator programs that we went through and things. So we very quickly were able to hire like the best talent in Newcastle at the time, sort of assemble it from all the different agencies in the in the mm-hmm. area. Um, so there was there's a, there's a lot of good talent from a technical standpoint in Newcastle. I think it's sort of it used to be like one of the like Newcastle's best kept secrets, but I think like a lot of companies have been moving in now and realizing they can kind of move outside of. Like the, the tech hubs in like London and, and Berlin and things, which is like really like exciting. But at the same time, obviously we've with with Brexit and uh, the sort of EU funding being pulled from the northeast regions, like mm-hmm. it feels like the startup ecosystem is collapsing a little bit right now. Like like this year and last year especially, like Ignite, Ignite 100, there was a there was a co-working space where all the sort of the tech startups were sort of based from, 
um, yep. sort of funded by the EU and sort of some of the Molten's early uh, investors sort of got EU funding and that kind of thing. Um, but that sort of is being pulled now, so that's like sh shrinking pretty rapidly, which is a bit unfortunate and sort of disappointing. I, I don't see, I don't see the UK government rushing to replace that that level of support. Yes, um, so yes, it's, it's, probably, it's probably really tough now to like do something in Newcastle than it was um, a few years ago. That was like there was like a, a sweet spot, in, in a moment yeah. in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, f f thank you for this answer. Uh, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like uh, when we founded View Storefront in Wrocław, uh, it gave us also you know much longer runway given the cost mm -hmm. of development and talents we we could found here. So it's it's absolutely an opportunity, I guess. Uh, okay, cool. Um, after two years or, or so, you applied to Y Combinator, uh, second you know uh, accelerator after Ignite 100. Uh, why did you decide for this move? Um, so we were the, there's I think there was like three or four of us at the time. And we were trying to fundraise in London, and mm -hmm. all the VC like there's like there maybe like one or two like partners at the VCs like maybe they were like American or like. Yeah. From Israel or things like that, they knew what an API was, but the majority of London-based VCs were very much sort of into fintech or like B two C companies and investments, and they didn't even know what an API was. So like, gotcha. the, the the you can imagine how the starts of those like conversations would go. Like you would have to like not talk about what you were doing. You would have to explain a technical concept first, and mm -hmm. that was sort of that was like that that was never going to go anywhere. Like we had like dozens of conversations with VCs, and they just didn't understand. Um, so we realized, like, we, we were speaking to a, a guy, I don't know if you know him, Gil Dibner. Uh, he used to work at DFJ, and uh, he mm -hmm. sort of recommended, he came up He came up from London, like, that never happens. Like, you don't get London-based VCs coming up to Newcastle ever. Like, he was the first one to make that, like, <laughs> that move to come and see us. And he sort of recommended that we go and apply to Y Combinator. We, all, we, we, all, we were also being sort of approached by 500 startups at the time, so we had sort of options on the table as to kind of if, if YC didn't work out for whatever reason. We could mm -hmm. apply to a, a 500 startups, so we would sort of have, like, get out of the Newcastle ecosystem a little bit and get, um, I guess, more aligned with Silicon Valley. I guess that was sort of, we were sort of isolated a little bit in Newcastle and people hadn't really heard of us and we and we needed some stamps of credibility. And I think sort of mm -hmm. why we applied to IC thinking that that would, that, that they would give that stamp of credibility, which, which they did. And it also sort of began to teach us a little bit more, not just about building product, but also mm -hmm. about sort of go-to-market strategy and how do we evolve that? How do we begin to acquire customers? Sort of how do we sell Molten beyond just um, like building some APIs, which are cool, <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is helpful. So we, yeah, we ended up, uh, it was like late 2015. I had to apply for a passport. We, we applied like two hours before the deadline. <laughs> I recorded the video just off the cuff. There was sort of no rehearsal. We just sort of said, uh, we've got this e-commerce platform as an API. Um, We've got hundreds of developers signing up every month, yep. like playing around with it and using it and things. So we kind of had the product and had some early early traction and early adoption. And I think those two things kind of showed why I see that we were sort of like <laughs> making something that maybe people wanted. Like and like obviously like time has sort of proven that like e-commerce APIs and headless is now like a thing mm -hmm. in the in the industry that everyone's moving towards. We were very early, I think, from a timing perspective. Um, but yeah, we, we applied to YC. We ended up, we flew out there. Uh, the interview was like 10 minutes long. There was like four partners and it was Jamie and I. Um, so there was just like questions like flying left and right. <laughs> they were still having to like answer and deflect yeah. to try and keep the conversation on track. And then, yeah, that, that evening uh, we got accepted. We got the phone call that we were 
on the batch so uh, ended up having to call my uh, fiance at the time and say um, like we're going to Silicon Valley for a few months and that kind of thing so it was kind of tough personally that was like a really like really hard time mm -hmm. um, but yeah we, we, we moved to Silicon Valley for a few months uh, for the YC program in uh, January um, the following year um, and that, that, yeah, we started focusing on sort of the developer experience, the onboarding experience, trying to sort of figure out how do we, so in some ways, diversify our go-to-market strategy just away from organic search, but also like thinking about organic search in a, in a lot more depth around sort of content strategies. Because yep. but we were doing sort of like SEO by accident. It was more like just reverse engineering what we would search for, mm -hmm. as opposed to like latching on to like adjacent technologies and integrations and in companies. Gotcha. Um, that was that was sort of like was, would help supercharge because like people would be searching for like JavaScript e-commerce, or like over time obviously the Jamstack sort of came about and they would be searching for like React e-commerce and that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. we would have landing pages and sort of guides and content around building those things. But that's is it. It really started at YC when we started to like become a bit more sophisticated. That that's interesting. My next question uh, is actually about this: uh, how you pivoted the product over the years? Because as uh, mm -hmm. as you s started explaining, uh, you were also adapting to the trends like Jamstack and other. Yeah, uh, so like, can, can, like it was kind of like, it felt like the Wild yep. West, I guess. Like in, in 2013, like it was like jQuery, like that kind of thing. There wasn't any JavaScript framework, so to mm -hmm. speak, uh, sort of in the market. Um, so yeah, we the we the the product we built initially on the on the accelerator program, because we only had like three developers and like three months, you can mm -hmm. imagine it was just sort of like thrown together as quickly as possible to get to like a MVP product. It was a, a PHP monolith, so something that we were sort of familiar with, yep. and it was sort of sellotaped and duct taped together. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of it was it was good enough to like get started to kind of just prove that you could build an e-commerce API and that people would use it. But then we saw, sort of, between twenty thirteen and twenty, like mid twenty fifteen, we saw mm -hmm. sort of scaling challenges as some some larger companies started to get onboarded onto the onto the platform, like mid market companies that actually had like volume of traffic and like cart interactions and checkouts and sales. Yeah, we saw especially like around like holiday periods, we saw like the system began to like. Like struggle, but there would be bottlenecks in the architecture decisions that we made early on um, mm -hmm. to be like rushing. So we ended up sort of moving from version one of the PHP monolith to like rewriting the platform entirely. So we, we made a lot of mistakes, like building our fire sale plugin before that. And then we made a lot mm -hmm. of mistakes with our V1 product. And then for V2, we moved to a microservice architecture. And sort of we, at that point, it wasn't just PHP anymore. Yes, there was a little bit of PHP for some services, but there was, there was Node, there was Go, there was Ruby. Um, we started to diversify the tech stack then and maybe it went too far at one point and we kind of had to rein it back in a little bit in like early 2019 but like we were like very much sort of right tool for the job in terms of the architecture like specializing at that point we couldn't even like we were contemplating do we do we open source this thing and then like do the hosting for people in the service on top yeah but we realized that people wouldn't even be able to like host it themselves so like, even, it, if it, yeah. it was, even if it was open source it would be impossible it was, it was too specialized at that point um <laughs> so yeah it was sort of an inter interesting journey but obviously like over time so maybe a, a bit a bit on sort of my the hats as a founder that i w wore through that time uh, all three of us were developers but i thought i was i guess most commercially minded i, I leaned more towards sort of sales and marketing and mm -hmm, that that mm -hmm. grew over time so i kind of moved away from products so by like 2018 2019 i didn't really have a 
as as much insight into the internal architecture as I gotcha. as I had earlier on. Um, it got way more complicated, and I I, I could sort of un understand the diagrams, but I couldn't draw one for you because there was there was so many moving parts. I would do like a, the abstract version, which That's a, was yeah. simplified. Um, I, I think it's it's natural transition, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like it's sort of people gravitate towards sort of what they're I guess they're, what they're good at or what they're interested in. Um, so yeah, I sort of I, I guess I was running the sales and marketing team before we raised like Series A's and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. Without sort of we had like two or three people on this sort of marketing side uh, i remember sort of our first like deal six figure deals was myself and one solution engineer that we'd hired from twilio um, yep. and that worked out really well that, that was like, the data points that led to our series a um, but we were just sort of figuring out the playbook ourselves like, just like looking across at stripe and twilio and other api companies like contentful and algolia and just sort of uh, almost like i guess imitating what they were doing as best yep. as we could understand <laughs> like i think it sort of it became more apparent later on like that it, the, what, what we were trying to execute was like a product-led growth strategy. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, there's like productled.com. There's like, there are books about this now and things, but that didn't exist back then. Like now, now it does. So it's a lot easier for people to yeah. sort of grasp what that entails and what it, what it means. That, that was actually my next question. Like what was the key driver of the marching culture? I mean, you know, a company can be driven by many different factors, right? Some companies are product driven. Some companies are sales driven. Some companies are tech driven. Uh, what, what was Martin driven? We really cared about that developer experience, so we had a bit of a, mm -hmm. a chip on our shoulder with sort of the the existing platforms and the enterprise sales model and things, and maybe we thought um, that the developer should be empowered to make mm -hmm. those technology technology decisions for the business, like what was right for, for sort of what the business was trying to do. Um, so that that was sort of our culture initially. That sort of led us down that developer go to market approach. Um, that changed over time. Like culturally, we, we had a really strong culture from like 2013 to like 2017-ish. Um, but over time, um, that began to change. So like as we raised funding, we were pushed to commercialize. And I, I look back and maybe we were pushed too early to commercialize. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of, like, I see something in that product-like strategy. If you look at, like, look at Contentful or Algolia or something, um, you have... The developer go to market and you might not make money or much money off of that but it's about mind share it's about getting market penetration and getting everyone aware of your product or as many people as possible so that if someone th thinks of search this they think of algolia if someone thinks of content they think of content for someone mm -hmm. thinks of e-commerce we were hoping they would think of molten um, yeah. that was sort of the strategy um, but over time, like as we were trying to find product market fit, as you can imagine, like attracting like hundreds, tens, tens of hundreds of developers into the platform um, every month, it was noisy. There was a lot of people in there that were kicking the tires. A lot of people mm -hmm. that would like sign up for five minutes, like check it out a little bit, and then disappear and yep. things. So it was, it, we had like a, a very leaky like funnel, and then. We had like live chat on the website and things, and that's actually how we managed to speak to the. I guess we we'd sort of talk talk about them as sort of diamonds in the in the rough, mm -hmm. uh, where we would actually find companies that like serious companies that would actually want to use Molten and sort of it was like a timing thing as well, being there at the right time for them to discover mm -hmm. us. Uh, so a lot of things sort of had to go right. Sort of the stars would have to align to find the per that perfect like company that that would like pick up and use Molten and pay like six figure sums every year for yeah. it. Uh, but they, they did they did exist we got a, a few of those without a sales team when we were very much sort of focused on product and we and, and that sales process was very like 
solution engineering. It wasn't um, sort of it did. We we spoke directly to the CTOs and the developers, um, which like it kind of works for like I guess like startups, new, new D to C brands, which are smaller, and there's like the decision mm -hmm. maker is empowered to make that purchase. But we kind of found when we got more like larger companies in like in our in our sales pipeline, uh, the, the decisions were made by non technical stakeholders or by boards or by board members um absolutely it became it, it became tougher we, we sort of had to cross the bridge from a, a technical like an easy technical sale to like something that was like less technical and i think that's why you saw like terms like headless appear which is like it kind of gives you the opportunity to talk about the technology and the benefits that it can bring to the company but suddenly like in the enterprise space it's very um, it affects like a commerce platform affects everybody inside of a company. It's like one of the core components. Yeah. It's like the core engine. So everyone, yeah. everyone wants to say. Everyone wants to know what their day to day life is going to be like after the integration. Yeah, yeah. Um, which which makes it really tough. So like as we drifted more towards like coming back around to the question, as we drifted towards the enterprise space, especially like 2018, 2019, post Series A, as we commercialized, mm -hmm. the the culture changed as we hired like sales team in Boston and that kind of thing as we tried to like get into the US market mm -hmm. um, yeah it was very it was very tough like we began to sort of we had like fractures inside inside the team interesting yeah that's uh, that, that was a really interesting answer uh, also you you touched the, uh, the this technology adoption curve problem uh, where mm -hmm. you are uh, getting from the early adopters to majority which usually especially from the enterprise um, is, is, is backed by those business decision makers. I, I, I mm -hmm. see the same for, for the projects we were, uh, I was engaged in. It's a totally different story. Like if you are starting with the tech trends like headless, you are talking to CTOs and it's always very merit-based and you know mm -hmm. very tech-based and then you need to con uh, convince those business guys, which is mm, actually much more difficult. But if you do, those are the folks who have the budgets. Yeah, like we, so, we 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 got better at it over time. Like it was a lot of trial and error to get to get to that point. By 2019, like mid 2019, like we we pulled our developer go to market entirely, to, so we could focus on um, that enterprise space. And that's when we really found product market fit for yep. for our product. And I think that just just in some ways speaks volumes to the maturity of where headless is right now in the market. In terms of it's got mm -hmm. a high uh, barrier to entry so you kind of need the developers and the budget to kind of implement yep. and it's, it, it exceeds beyond just like the econ platform it's like all of these other best in class solutions just like yourself like and mm -hmm. uh, like with the boost off front and then like on the front end like we solved half of a problem and there's the headless CMS there's headless search there's promotion engines tax shipping like there's, there's a very long list of things that would need to be sold alongside Molten so that was also added complexity for both us in the, in the sales process like trying to maintain control and for the the buyer the customer like to be able to like piece That's together right. a full solution like it's like people kind of walked in expecting uh a full suite just like salesforce commerce cloud or um like magento whatever whatever commerce platform they were familiar with that's what they were kind of expecting and it was completely alien to them that they would kind of walk in and have to think about the entire architecture as a whole gotcha. with all these different yeah. pieces but if you i mean if you look at sort of how you, how a company implements a monolithic platform, like they 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 use plugins. Like over time, they adapt their initial 
is it isn't is isn't this Adam like a reverse uh, sequence of problems? Like when you picking this uh, monolithic platforms, you think you have everything uh, needed to to run it, everything under control, and it's just like out of the box solution. But it actually isn't. Like mm -hmm. in the end, you need to figure out all the problems, and sometimes you have even problems. You 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 were not expecting like performance, uh, maintain maintainability problems and other stuff. And in, with this headless, you have to figure out those things at, at first place. But mm -hmm. then it's much easier, right? Yeah, exactly. It kind of it makes you do that 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 thinking up front. So like, I sort of see it as like it sounds like a, a platform sounds a monolithic platform sounds great initially, uh, yeah. and then over time you drift from the path. And then you install the plugins, and then you have like dependency issues between those Absolutely. plugins, and it becomes yes. it becomes yes. a mess over like the course of three to five years. And then you get into the re-platforming cycle where you blame the platform, and you go find another platform, and then it's like a really big upheaval, yeah. and it's high risk, high re like hopefully high reward, but it, it can be a mess. And then you just after we saw it at the agencies, like people would like move from one platform to another every like like three to five years. So that in sort of the headless world, like you. You break that cycle because instead of replatforming the entire thing, like upfront you're thinking these are the components that I need in a in a we sort of we use diagrams to sort of sell molten because like people couldn't grasp there's no sort of front end so they couldn't sort of see what they were sort of like building and it was like a very different way of thinking so we ended up like having diagrams with like placeholders yep. for like gaps for like things that we thought they might mm -hmm. need and then we would sort of ask them what they have today and sort of we would help them sort of transition from whatever the architecture was to something new and that was sort of chipping away maybe at the monolith sometimes it was like a full rebuild um, but there was a few different approaches to sort of making that successful um but yeah i think i think it's a good idea to sort of have that that planning up front as to okay like you're kind of walking in with your eyes wide open as to all these like components and sort of yep. what what they're designed to do and you end up with a, a system that's greater than the sum of its parts because they're all they're all best of breed and they all sort of compound the value of each other and you're able to leverage like from on the front end you get like performance impacts for like like how quickly your website loads which is great like that's that sort of occurred over time as, as the jamstack sort of came about um obviously that increases like seo and search engine mm -hmm. ranking mm -hmm. results um and on, on page conversions so like they're, they're very easy things to measure so like when you're trying to prove the roi to like a business stakeholder like that's what what a lot of CTOs sort of led with um but then there's sort of the more sort of i guess the the process stuff internally sort of how quickly can you fulfill an order like the 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 administration experience like of like different team members like people living inside of pims and order management systems depending on their job titles Absolutely. and things maybe yeah. they didn't even know that molten existed like they never like molten was sort of just connecting, right. yeah. connecting everything together um, and people just lived in different tools the the platforms are getting more and more into a, a utility role which is mm -hmm. on one side great on the other side it's uh, difficult because great because uh, it, it just works. Nobody wants to change it after uh, the decision mm -hmm. has been made to start with, with one or other platform. Uh, but the other uh, challenge is that because it's, it's utility is getting more and more com uh, it's getting, uh, yeah, commoditized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, commoditized, exactly. Yeah, that's, we, yeah, that's what we, we, we thought of had the, like, the thought, Stripe has like payment infrastructure, like multi multi sort of thought process was sort of like e-commerce infrastructure where like it was like it's like electricity like you just turn it on wherever you need it whatever the component was um so that's sort of yeah that, that utility that utilized utility sort of concept 
like really like speaks truth to sort of the api's sort of movement but um but yeah you can especially now 20, 2020 like you can see the commoditization happening like every every few weeks i see an, another new headless e-commerce platform appearing and if you i don't know if you checked out the the jamstack.org website they've got like a headless cms section and there's like, like there's at least 50 headless cms's now it's like it's becoming problematic to like know which one to kind of go with like obviously you've got the early players into the market that have mm-hmm. sort of established some some mind share but it's also becoming easier to create these platforms um yep. as well at, le- at least on the cms side e-commerce platforms are i think are a little bit harder because they've got like logic and processing that you kind of have to think about like with the cart and the the tax calculations and shipping and there's like a lot of more complexity there but it, but people can still do it like because you have all the best of breed providers that you can kind of rely on to kind of plug the gaps yeah, yeah that, that makes perfect sense okay thank you uh you finally uh left molten it was officially this year or end of the 2019 so uh, molten was acquired in november uh 2019 mm-hmm. uh but i I, la- I left elastic path um like mid-february officially um, and What's then, your next challenge? So, uh, so I guess like what I'm up to right now. So I moved, I moved back to the UK from Boston. I was in Boston for a few months, um, through 2019 and sort of the start of 2020. Uh, so just moved back before sort of COVID hit, um, mm-hmm. like one week before the lockdowns in the UK. So kind of in some ways sort of lucky to get out of the US and sort of get back with family. Um, mm-hmm. So we're we're saving for a house right now. We've, we've got like we're getting money together for a deposit. We've got a a, a bit of cash. Uh, from the acquisition and things um but the housing market's a little bit in uh it's a bit of an interesting time like people are moving out of the cities and i'm in a i'm in a village right now called rothbury about half an hour drive from newcastle mm-hmm. so a lot of people are moving out of the cities so like houses go really quickly in terms of like actually buying a house um i need to have I'm, i've set up a consulting practice while i figure out what i want to do next and i need one year of accounts to buy a house um, so that'll be April before I have a year of accounts together. I'll, by that point, I'll have a, I'll have a decent sized uh, deposit as well. So we'll be able to sort of get ourselves sort of set up and have some stability in our lives after seven years mm-hmm. in sort of startup mode. Um, yeah. But sort of beyond beyond that, I guess my real challenge that I'm trying I'm sort of struggling with is sort of uh, figure yeah figuring out what I want to do next outside of sort of product marketing consulting and solution architect consulting. Um, it's sort of gotcha. I've, got, so, I've, got a, so, I've got a bit of like analysis paralysis there's a lot of a lot of companies chasing me and i'm also like doing i, I feel like the consulting stuff is kind of fun as well mm-hmm. um that i'm sort of able to help a lot of people i feel like the thing that i get the, the biggest like i guess kick from or the the, the most sort of the most like <laughs> I, I, the thing that i feel good about i guess is helping retailers and brands sort of navigate like Mac and headless architecture yep. decisions because yep. it's really hard. Like even, even for me, like I'm in, I'm in the space, I live and breathe it every day. And even I struggle sometimes like <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with like how quickly the space is moving and sort of trying to keep aware of like broader market movements and all the new vendors that are kind of coming in and gotcha. how they kind of compete. And there's, there's a lot of blurring of lines. Um, so I'm trying I've, to, I've... trying to stay one step ahead of the, the retailers and brands to sort of help teach them, um, makes perfect sense and i think this this role uh kind of you know s- uh, s- strategy slash um s- solution architectural role is very important and also the the your recent publication the e-commerce magic roundabout uh is is, is a step towards helping the folks to navigate uh, this mm-hmm. enterprise e-commerce space can you tell us uh, a little bit more about this uh, 
this publication? Yeah, the, the roundabout. So, like, at, at Moulton, we sort of worked with Gartner and Forrester, and um, I sort of had, had, like, issues with sort of how they were sort of published and sort of rank and score vendors. You would see sort of the the monolithic players, like, maintaining leadership positions for far too long mm-hmm. when they're, they're mm-hmm. being, whilst they're being disrupted by other new, more innovative startups. Uh, so they would sort of cling on for longer. Uh, and I thought maybe like we could, it would it would be good to just publish like what's actually happening, um, mm-hmm. sort of taking some ideas from like the magic quadrant and things, but also applying sort of like crossing the chasm like components to mm-hmm. that and sort of the life cycle of a company and sort of it's almost yep. like a, a bit like a clock where like a company starts at the top left hand quadrant, like the innovators, and then they kind of have to cross the chasm to get into sort of being like in the winning category. And then, sort of over time, how long does the cycle take? I, uh, I'm, I'm the, wondering. The cycle, um, in terms of sort of how long it takes, it, I guess it fluctuates. It depends on each company. Um, yep. five, five to ten years for like big shifts in the market. I would say, mm-hmm. like in terms of like the phases, the generational phases that we kind of go through. I think companies try to fight the uh, decline once, they, obviously, once you become sort of when you get really big, and you're wanting to sort of maintain that growth curve. It gets harder and harder. And eventually, um, you're going to become disrupted. And I feel I feel like that's a good sort of tie into sort of the the Jeff Bezos sort of Amazon like day zero mentality, where you've got to keep re- reinventing yourself every single day mm-hmm. because if you don't, you're gonna you're gonna fall into insignificance. Gotcha. And you, eventually, yeah. your company's gonna die. Um, so that's kind of what I see. Sort of like yes, Shopify, Big Commerce, and Commerce Tools are all in the, like the wedge of winners right now, and the, there are new commerce platforms and APIs kind of coming 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 across the chasm as we speak, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of the old guard is I kind of put them in the lower half of them of my diagram in sort of the the, the like there's a creak of complacency when the, when they think they're like you know they're too big to fail and then like if the if the product vision does not progress like someone mm-hmm. else is gonna like replace you basically um and sort of like take a I guess a leapfrog approach and kind of jump over what you've sort of executed on and fix some of the problems with your product. So you kind of have to be constantly aware and honest with yourself as to kind of what is what are the pros and cons of your product that you're selling into the market. And I, mm-hmm. I see it as sort of like a pendulum swing between sort of we have monoliths and then we have fragmentation with microservices and we're probably going to be going back again somewhere when like instead of having suites we have stacks and there's going to be like tools that kind of come together and that sort of orchestrate all of these different best of breed providers together sort of with an out of the box solution so you get the benefits of flexibility with with the benefits of speed um and it's difficult to build that from a a place where you've got kind of a monolithic platform you kind of have to do it from a place of fragmentation to start with so i've placed a lot of the monoliths in the bottom half and they're they're fighting against that so you've you've seen the recent acquisition of mobify by salesforce commerce cloud they're they're trying to Mm -hmm. they're trying to put um put the headless like front end on, on on top of on top of their monolith, so like a hybrid approach, which they're fighting against the change. They they need to think about the internal architecture. Mm-hmm. They, they've mm-hmm. got they've got demandware, and that you know that's really old internal architecture is like showing its age now. Um, they need to be thinking about like to reinvent themselves. They have to acquire an e-commerce API. Like that's <laughs> that's that they have to like to to stay relevant because like, you're you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing commerce tools eat into the market share of Salesforce now. Um, so it's just a matter of time. Like Adobe acquired Magento. I feel like that was a bit of a strange move. Like, why would you acquire? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you know about Magento, but like from the V1 to V2, like I kind of watched from the sidelines. And it's like the the product seems to product vision seems to have become sort of derailed, and they sort of hitched their their wagon to some very strange technical mm-hmm. choices, like in the monolith. Mm-hmm. And like, and yes, yes, you can like you can do headless with Magento or Salesforce and things. You can do it to some degree. 
Um, but at the same time, you kind of end up in, in the same for Shopify, you kind of end up in a, a weird place in the middle where you, you're getting the benefits of maybe the headless storefront, but you're, you're, you're not getting the benefits um, on the back end, like the business process, because you kind of throw away all the benefits of the of the monolith by doing a hybrid you can, you can no longer rely on the plugins you can no longer like you can no longer rely on the existing ecosystem of things that exist um so people like people get all the benefits on the front end but then they kind of realize once they go live that hey like this like we're in a bit of a no man's land now like with like we've like lost a lot of things too so yeah i don't i don't know how like how it can work out when when you just have a hybrid you kind of need to have um like both sides of the solution, I think. So yeah, and then and then you got like the really old sort of old players like SAP and Oracle, mm -hmm. IBM, etc. Like, there are still customers on those platforms, but they are beginning to migrate off. They're like the laggards in the space. Um, so that, but they still it has like the life cycle of like companies as they go through like their growth curves and then their gradual declines. Um, and so yeah, I think it's a good way of sort of illustrating sort of I mean it is also my gut feel I've got like for the Y axes it's like the vision of the of the mm -hmm. of the company and, and the founding team um, and I've got like, my own gr like grades and over time that vision axis grows so there are new things that get added that um, yep. like like you've seen like low code and no code environments and things now um, which kind of add up to that that vision um, and then on the on the on the X axis you have like execution capabilities. So I imagine you can imagine sort of larger companies are like oil tankers and they become much harder to like move <laughs> and make decisions and shift. Like small companies, Absolutely. startups yeah. can move really fast and they have a lot of like three guys from Newcastle, like case in point, like Maltin was up against like <laughs> Magento and Shopify. Yeah. They have like hundreds and hundreds of developers that are building out their platform features and three guys from Newcastle managed to create an e-commerce platform, like bare bones e-commerce platform, like with very limited Absolutely. resources. Kind of just kind of just proves the point. So, so yeah, like like you say, it becomes that, that harder to execute, to... and that's kind of why companies kind of go can go from like yeah. high execution capabilities to low because there are other forces at work. Um, there's there's kind of a lot packed into that diagram. <laughs> like, yeah, it makes sense. So uh, I I see this diagram also uh, saying something like the success is uh, sometimes um, a, a golden cage, and you know uh, limiting you from being still relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, because your, your 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 technology is then aging uh, faster than new players, and actually the the new, next question is about uh, about the future of the e-commerce enterprise software market. How mm -hmm. you see it, and where do you see a uh, space for new players? Actually, yeah. So I kind of go back to sort of the problems with headless and sort of Mac microservices and, and things. Mm -hmm. So you, you get all the benefits of flexibility, but then complexity kind of comes with that. And we, we saw a lot of companies like doing 80% of the work would be the same, just like the, the setup and the configuration of those things, yep. the integrations of how like the, the standard data flows exist between them. So you're mm -hmm. seeing like the Mac Alliance and things like form now to kind of solve some of those things where these companies are partnering with each other like in the enterprise space, which is great. Um, I feel like, like we're not far away from like low code interfaces where um, in, instead of like these things being done in code, they're done via UI, and that's probably the the the, the, the space that exists for the ecom side. Sort of, that's what that's what people are doing in code in Molten, and I feel like there's an easier way to do that. And taking a leaf out of like the Webflow book or something, um, or maybe even like I, I sort of see maybe like DigitalOcean for e-commerce, where you have like deploy buttons and things. And gotcha. Yeah. 
I feel, feel like that's sort of, that would be big. Like, I mean, and maybe like, it's not necessarily even just the e-commerce platform that could do that. Like an e-commerce platform could take their product vision in that direction. The CMS could do that. Like a lot of players could do that and sort of rush, rush towards that sort of spectrum. Um, or, or you could just have someone that doesn't even, that is just doing the orchestration and isn't doing any other features. So it could be additive or it could be like Greenfield. Actually, what, what, what you just said, I read like, uh, we are halfway with this headless, right? And there is still a, a, a plenty of space for um, enablers that make headless more digestible for the business users, like no-code platforms and, and, and the, the environments that put all those things together for me are actually exactly this. And uh, on the other hand, you need to educate the market and the Mac Alliance I see as a very, very important initiative to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's sort of, I feel like we're in a good, good, good space. The, the headless notes of the Mac, like technology is maturing rapidly. And like the next mm -hmm. two, like one or two steps ahead of us are very, like, I think it's for the industry, it's fairly obvious. It's sort of the chink in the armor for microservices is in those integration mm -hmm. points. It's like the weakness. It's mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of the time spent by the implementation teams is in in sort of how what happens when something goes wrong like what happens yep. when like something fails like what are, yeah, what yeah. are the retry policies when does a human have to get involved in a process that can kind of, we saw like like for example like the the order would be placed on molten and then it would be passed through to a fulfillment like warehouse or something or a fulfillment system what happens if that request fails for whatever reason what happens if you're doing a retry and then uh, maybe you get maybe you're getting race conditions and things like what there's like all kinds of weird edge cases that can happen and if you're if you're a, a brand that is trying to do like next day deliveries like trying to offer the amazon level experience um like you can't have any delays like minutes or seconds can matter if the customer's trying to get their order in before the cutoff point for the next day delivery um so you end up sort of having like these reporting systems that you're kind of baking in to kind of monitor that that connection uh, we mm -hmm. saw a few customers do that um out of necessity that they would have to over engineer that inter integration point and then they would have it even they would even have like a manual sort of a dashboard that they could log into like for one of their reps every day to mm -hmm. just check if there's anything kind of stuck and just manually push it through um mm -hmm. even after even even after the machines failed like maybe three or four times like you can't right. yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily even be like a molten issue obviously like molten's in it may be integrating and communicating with like really old technology with like lots of bugs and things like erps and fulfillment warehouse yeah. platforms that are really 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 old so they would fail so it's not even necessarily about sort of uh like the commerce platform it could be some other component and that that exists for everything like it's like these edge cases are really hard to sort of predict um and that's sort of why i feel like the the low code stuff and sort of like paving the road for people and sort of having having those edge cases and having those robust integrations will really help uh, from a complexity management standpoint, we had a lot of customers sort of implementing like New Relic and Datadog and like things to monitor their, their own technology stacks mm -hmm. that they're building. Mm -hmm. It seems like <laughs> kind of kind of crazy that they kind of would have to do that. Um, it would be a, sort of a good problem to solve. Yeah, 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 sure. So, um, which technology trends are, are over and which are under hyped? I think the the Jamstack sort of helps on the front end um, and serverless functions and things too. Like you can do a lot. Of, you can do a lot in like fifty lines of code in a serverless function, so that that, mm -hmm. that sort of really helps. Um, I'm not sure if that's sort of overhyping or just sort of assisting. Um, obviously, like like the adoption of sort of cloud, um, like AWS, that kind of thing, has sort of helped like bring down the barriers. 
Um, I'm trying to think of something that was like is like overhyping. I feel like microservices maybe in in and of mm -hmm. themselves like this, the the concept of size of a service is a bit of hype. Like it's it helps to have a conversation between the difference between a monolith and a microservice, but yep. like each product and service is is of a different size. Like you look at commerce tools, it's a it's a suite of services, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, they could be microservices. You could also think of Commerce Tools as a whole entity, that it's kind of like a macro service. Yep. Like there's lots of microservices together. They're not necessarily like a full monolith, but they're kind of some quasi sort of in between. Um, and as products mature and get bigger, like they get more features and more services sort of added. So that's kind of why I guess you're seeing sort of the rise of the term like composable commerce which is sort of mm -hmm. we had a we had a vote internally it's a good story behind this we had a vote internally like i think it was like mid late 2018 early 2019 sort of what would sort of be the next thing after sort of mac mm -hmm. architecture as an industry term and we had a vote uh, between um, open commerce and composable commerce and our engineering team preferred composable commerce um mm -hmm. and i think obviously that's been pitched to the analysts now and i think everyone's sort of on the same page it's sort of like, again sort of mutual discovery and things and Gartner has trademarked the term composable commerce and everyone's talking about composable commerce now so that's kind of <laughs> it's funny to see sort of the genesis of a term and sort of how it kind of goes into the market and things gotcha. so that was that was how molten was going to kind of compete against commerce tools like mac versus composable and we were trying to remove the sizeism from the equation but i feel like uh, it, the, some of the terminology of the, the, what we were trying to bake into that term has been watered down in the delivery and execution mm -hmm. of that from not just like molten elastic path but from everybody everyone is able to adopt that term now um, so it's, it's almost like headless. It loses its meaning a little bit along the way, a bit unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I, I feel like that's kind of what's great about the the Mac alliances. They've got like criteria for entry, um, yep. and it feels like something sort of needs to like, exist. Um, like maybe there's something beyond sort of composable that needs to exist. Um, like again, gotcha. like, more, more acronyms, probably more things for people to be to be confused about. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Adam, thank you for uh, being my guest, for um, taking the time, um, talking. No problem, Thank, thanks for having me. Yeah, that was a great talk. Uh, guys, if you have any more questions, feel free to put them in into comments and we will try to, to answer. Thank you very much and be with us next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the CTO to CTO podcast. If you enjoyed this show and if you found this episode useful and informative in any way, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This can help us tremendously in reaching other listeners who might also be interested in these topics. And of course, as always, we'll be back with great content next week.